What I'd like to do is cover the duty and the beauty of wives. I've named this section uh, that because it deals with that. Du- the duty and beauty of wives. I like what Key- Brother Key told me. Beauty and the beast. That is so true. Our scripture, <laughs> our scripture text is found in our wonderful study in 1 Peter chapter 3. Isn't this great? We made it to chapter 3. This is really coming to the heart of the book. There's only um, five chapters, and we're over halfway, and by God's help and grace. So 1 Peter chapter 3, go with me there please, and we're going to look at verse 1 to 7. I first put 1 to 6, but actually if you look at the text, it does go to 1 to 7 as a whole of speaking submission in the home. And I want to include verse 7 as well because the husbands are included in this as well as the wives. Uh, This is a very sensitive area, like I said, and I need your um, prayers for me as I preach this word this morning by the help and the power of the Spirit of God. I'm reading from the NASB and hear the word of the living God. In the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external, braiding of the hair and the wearing of gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality, that means beauty, the imperishable or or, uh, incorruptible beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used, used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened by any fear. And he goes on to say, You husbands in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. May God richly bless the reading of His Holy Word to our hearts this morning. This is quite a text, isn't it? This is a quite um, wonderful, this is great instructions to wives and husbands um, in the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. So now let's take this time just for a few minutes. Let's go to our Lord in prayer as we seek His face and as we study and worship Him and um, ask His blessing upon us. Our Father... And our God, Lord, help us to reverence You, to respect You. Help us to submit to You, O God, in our hearts, just not with our heads, just not with our tongues. Lord, it's our hearts. We call upon You in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we ask Your help in this. And Father, most of all, we thank You for Your eternal Holy Word that is forever settled in heaven. Lord, we cannot thank You enough for that Word. 
in which you've given unto us that wonderful revelation. Lord, we don't, we, we don't need anything else. Uh, this word is sufficient to, for us to live godly in this evil world in which we live. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to hear your voice, the voice of the Good Shepherd, the voice of the Great Shepherd. We thank you for Jesus. Sanctify us, O Lord, in thy word. Thy word is truth. It cleanses us, it washes us, it purifies us. Lord, you're going to come back for a holy and a pure bride. May we be ready. May we be watching. May thy church be pure. And Lord, we ask you to give us ears to hear, eyes to see, a heart to be submissive to your authority and receive it as the good word of the Lord. And that we may obey your word. And we ask this all for the glory of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. A wonderful, as wonderful as marriage can be, it requires a lot of work, doesn't it? It definitely requires. I've known this as being married for over 33 years, and I'm so thankful to have um, um, found favor in the Lord's eyes to having a godly wife. I'm thankful for that. But it takes a lot of love and God's love to one another in a way that honors God and our spouse as well. The end of 1 Peter chapter 2 challenged us as we looked at last Lord's Day to respond in a God-honoring way when we are treated unfairly as believers. But the key word that the Apostle Peter seems to be driving at in this entire complete section is the word submit. We must underscore that. That's a very important word. If we don't understand this word biblically, truthfully, and if God does not drive this one word home and branded it within our hearts, we will not understand what He is saying to us as husbands, as Christians, as wives here within this text. The word submit, obey, in the Greek term has military roots. And we looked at this, but I want to repeat it. It means to fall in rank under the authority of another. To fall in rank. It's a military word. To fall in rank under the authority of another to subject oneself to the purpose of obeying or pleasing another is another definition. And the Apostle Peter tells us that such submission honors God and advances His purposes in this world in which we live. Now, biblical submission, properly understood, we must understand this because the world sees opposite. Biblical submission is not a sign of weakness. Actually, it's, it's reverse. It's a sign of great strength. The world sees it completely different. As I was studying this personally in my time, I'd like to share this with you in 1 Peter chapter 3. As I asked myself this question, I said, why does the Apostle Peter seem to spend so much time... Um, and that's interesting. Now, let me say this before I 
say what is advancing. I'm getting ahead of myself. He was an apostle that was married. We find that he had a mother-in-law in the gospel. So we know he was married and Jesus healed her from a fever. So he knows a lot about this. And the apostle Paul speaks of it, but he was not married. He was an unmarried apostle, but he speaks from the commandments of the Lord. But uh, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, as I was thinking on this, why would the Apostle Peter devote six entire verses to instruct wives and only one verse that is given in verse 7 to instruct husbands? That's a good question, isn't it? And I thought about that for a little bit, and I said, what's the purpose of this? What's, God's got to have a reason. And as I was meditating and thinking about this, um, he says so much more to the wives and instructions here than to the husbands. And the conclusion that I came up with is a biblical one. Now, uh, before I give you the, the answer I believe is a biblical, Peter is not being a male chauvinist, chauvinistic uh, pig, as some people would say. And I looked that word up and it was interesting that it's a term that emerged really in the late 1960s. In the late 1960s, during the sexual revolution among the feminists, that term, male chauvinistic pig, came into being. Uh, things started really turning wrong in the, for this nation, for this. Now you see the, we see the results of it among us. Um, it's everywhere, isn't it? And this, na- this message would not go over too well in this postmodern culture, would it? And hey, would it go over too, very well in even most churches? No, it wouldn't. But the reason I believe personally and biblically um, that so much attention is given to the instruction of wives is because the wife is a type of the believer of Jesus Christ to church, as the church. And I really believe that's... We're going to see that more as the Apostle Paul brings this out in Ephesians chapter 5. The woman, the wife, is to submit or subject herself under her head, being her own husband, as Jesus Christ is the head of the bride, the church. It's that plain and simple. So she submits to his authority. Now that doesn't go too, over too well to even wives. Um, only a true believer... Uh, in Jesus Christ can really uh, take this from the heart and submit to the heart, from the heart. Therefore, it is of supreme importance for the believers to follow this God-ordained order and submit to Christ as authority. You hear me say that quite often because that is really the root. That is the foundation of everything that Peter is saying here, that Paul says it's all about submitting to the authority of Christ. And I'm telling you, that is critical. That is absolutely foundational um, to everything that we believe as believers within the church. So no matter how often we read this text, that you go through it, we come out the same, don't we? We find it, this text is always focusing in, on one phrase, be submissive to your own husbands. Be submissive to your own husbands. The old King James Version says, Be in subjection to your own husbands. The Phillips Version renders it, Adapt yourselves to your husbands. 
The New English Bible says, accept the authority of your husbands. And the ESV, which is more of a, a recent translation, that says, the English Standard Version, be subject to your own husbands. And all of them are interpreting one word in the Greek, which literally means to stand under, to fall in rank under the authority of another. And to take the position under the leadership of your husbands, that's what he's saying. Let me make this clear early in this message, in my introduction here, that this does not mean a tyrant-slave relationship. I want to make that crystal clear. There is no tyrant-slave relationship here. Holy Scripture clearly indicates otherwise, especially in the Word to the husbands, as we will see more, Lord willing, next week. But it does mean that the wife is willingly, not reluctantly, to abide by the husband's final decisions when it comes to, to home manners and in the family, in the home, making those decisions. The late preacher Ray Stedman said this in, in an illustration. I really love his illustrations. He says this, quote, the necessity of the wife to submit herself to the, to the husband's authority has been blown up to undue proportions. Dwelling on the aspect of it is like disliking roses because they have thorns. That's a good illustration. And he goes on to say, they also are very beautiful and have a delightful fragrance. Or perhaps more to the point, it is like that first dive into a cool water on a hot summer day. There's a moment of discomfort while the body is adjusting to the temperature of the water, but then there is a glorious relaxation and a refreshment of the swim. That's well said. Amen. Good illustration to give us as we dive into this text. Especially to wives. Now, so the first thing is that the, submiss the submissiveness here is absolutely necessary because this is God's divine order in Scripture. We see this in Genesis. That's God's word. This is the way God ordered it. It's His creative order. And sin's messed things up. That three-letter word, sin, has really caused chaos. It is God's creative order that the man might be the man. We need this so often, so much in our day. It is the husband's responsibility in marriage to exercise, and I want to say this, and this is a term I always use, Servant leadership. Not the other way around. It's always servant first. Servant leadership. This is exactly the way our Lord Jesus Christ walked among us and showed and demonstrated His servanthood. Even washing the disciples' feet. But He was the Master. Even the Master would wash their feet. Even the Master would set the example. And he set us the ultimate example for humility, didn't he? Servant leadership. And as someone has very precisely and wisely pointed out in a very simple way, almost like Brother Keith's illustration about the young boy um, showing up the professional fisherman. He knew what he was doing in his humility and he really didn't, really didn't know it. He, didn't, he wasn't bragging about it. He just did what he did. But one wise person said it like this. 
speaking of marriage between a husband and wife, quote, when two people are on a horse, one has to get to be behind, to be behind. Let me say that again. When two people are on a horse, one has got to be behind. In other words, you can't have two leaders. You can't have two leaders and you can't have two followers. One has to be the leader, one has to be the follower. Now, in marriage, one must follow, one must lead. That's what we're going to look at. My points are this. I'm going to bring out four points under a heading. The heading is submission in the home. Submission in the home. Now, I would like for us to follow this, and I'm going to just break it up in two parts. Two of them will be today, Lord willing, and Lord willing, the other two will be next week. The first is found in verse 1 and 2. And my first point I'd like for us to look at is the heart of a godly wife. The heart of a godly wife. Secondly, we will look at verse 3 and 4. The true beauty of a godly woman. The true beauty of a godly woman. And last, and after we look at those um, two headings, we will look at some practical applications in a very um, simplistic way, but and to the meaning of the verses in which we will look at. Next Lord's Day, we will look at um, the third and third point will be some examples found in Holy Scripture from the Old Testament of godly women, holy women of old who trusted in God. And then on the fourth point will be verse 7, will be the heart of a godly man. We need to see the heart of a godly man, don't we? A godly husband. And then we will look at application um, as the Lord tarries for that. So let us begin today and look at the text uh, before us as we look into this study. Submission in the home. Submission in the home. The duty and the beauty of wives. We have it in the home. And this is exactly where Satan attacks, I think, the hardest. His crosshairs are set right in the home, beloved. And he always wants to get to the, um, the head of the home, to break up the home. And he does it a lot of times through the wives, so that's another reason I believe the woman is the weaker vessel. And it's not to say, uh, you hear me say this, wives, that you're not inferior, okay? You are an heir of grace to your husband. You have a very important part to play in God's redemptive plan. So, submission in the home, the heart of a godly wife. The heart of a godly wife. How does this look like? Well, let's hear what Peter says. Look at verse 1 and 2. In the same way, or likewise, you wives be submissive to your own husbands, so that even if any of them are disobedient to the Word, speaking of, of um, un, unsaved husbands, they may be one without a word, by what? By preaching to them? By lecturing to them? No. By the behavior of their wives. And then he says in verse 2, they, As they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. It's a loaded gun, isn't it? That's a powerful verse. The godly wife will be submissive to her own husband 
The submissive, the submission isn't a reward for the husband because he's being good. She doesn't submit because, okay, one day he's good and then, okay, you're going to be bad. I'm not going to submit. Rather, it is the proper order of the home that God commands it. That's the reason why God commands submission. Now, God has the ultimate authority here. He is the creator. And the wives are to submit to their own husbands. Rather, it's the proper order, isn't it? Now, question, the, the very simple, obvious question is, well, why has God commanded it? Well, first of all, the obvious answer is because God is God. God is the Creator. He is God. And the second is, in His infinite wisdom, He knows that this is the very best arrangement for the home. I don't think anyone else would know better. Since He's the Creator, He is the one that created male and female in His own image. And let me throw this. I heard this years ago before the the LGBTQ movement came out. God created Adam and Eve, not Adam and Steve. That still stands. But I'm not going to go there. We're going to focus on what Peter is saying. Now, more about that later, right? That just shows you that Satan has caused chaos and has disrupted the order in which God has designed now, we can't blame it all on Satan, even though he's the deceiver and he's lured people in with the temptation. It's our sin. Sin is the problem. That's the problem. And people are blinded to it. Well, aren't you glad for the great revelation in Scripture that God gives us, that we could see this? It's the Word of God. Now, submission or subjection does not mean that the wife is inferior to the husband. I just said that. I'm going to say that time and time again because... The wives are not to be inferior. Actually, 1 Peter 3, 7 says this, and I read it, but you husbands, likewise, or in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, as with someone weaker, since she is a woman. Show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, like I said, ladies first, men, we're going to get it next week. But uh, I am going to say a few things in context here, even though it's addressing the wives first, and he says so much in six verses, but there is a great important part that the husband plays as well in the role of marriage. Don't we all need this? I need to hear this. Submission has to do with, with order. With order, not evaluation. For example, let me give you an example here. Slaves in the uh, average Roman household in the, in the New Testament time is, were superior in many ways to their masters, but they still had to be under the authority of their masters. In other words, that's the way it was. Another more modern um, illustration, a little buck private... And the army may be a better person than the five-star general that's leading. He may be. But he's still a buck private. He's still under the authority of that five-star general. 
That's the way it is. Now it makes me think about Jesus here. Jesus actually was God in the flesh. God in the flesh became a bond servant. He chose to do this in His humility. He submitted to the will of God. Actually, the verse I'm thinking of is Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. You could go with me there if you like, but it's a great text, isn't it? Philippians five, uh, chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. The Apostle Paul says, Have this attitude in yourselves. There's the attitude. What's the attitude? The humility of Christ. Then he says, Which was also in Christ Jesus, who although He existed in the form of God, He did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied Himself. Oh my. That's the great kenosis. He emptied Himself. Taking the form of a bond slave. A bond slave and being made in the likeness of men, being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient. That word obedient could be submissive. Submissive to the point of death, even the death on a cross. The kenosis, the kenosis. That's the great doctrine of Christ's self-emptying and in His incarnation taking the form of a bond servant. A bond servant. But what did Jesus do? He submitted Himself to the Father's will. He submitted to going to the cross. This was a command that the Father gave. He lovingly, willingly sacrificed Himself and submitted Himself to the, to the point as being a, like a bond slave. God in the flesh. God in the flesh. What an example. At submitting himself to the Father's will. There's nothing degrading. There's nothing degrading about submitting to authority. Is there? Jesus set that example. Or even accepting God's order for that way of thinking. If anything it is, it's the first step toward fulfillment. Why is this foreign to us? Because submissive is a dirty word. In our culture. It's because of the sin in people's hearts do not want to hear this. Just as holiness is foreign to sinners, this is just as foreign. But we need to hear it. Well, it's the first step toward fulfillment. Notice the, the first words, in the same way, in the same way. Likewise. That means proper submission in the home follows the same principles as submission is towards the government, toward our employers, there is a pattern in which Peter gives, and that's submission under authority. That's what he's talking about. It is the submission not only to, of actions, but of the heart that demonstrates to us what Peter is really talking about. And it is demonstrated by the Lord Jesus Christ. We looked at that last Lord's Day in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, 21 through 25. So Jesus set us the example. Now, we have a call for submission, and that call for submission is not merely a call for just love and considerate action. It's a call to take the place of submission. Now, in order to take the place of submission, that is a humbling act, isn't it? And that's what hits our pride. And I, I really believe this, that pride is... The one sin that keeps us and draws us back from submission. It is. 
That's why it speaks in Philippians. That's why I read that, is that it's the humility of Jesus and He submitted to the Father's will. People say, yeah, but He was God in the flesh. Well, yes, He was, but He was also the God-man. And all that He did, He did as a man full of the Holy Spirit. And He set that example. Now, the word literally, again, it means following in the rank to authority, literally meaning to order under. Yet, submission to authority can be totally consistent with equality and importance. This is hard for us to understand, but it could be consistent with equality and importance and dignity and honor. And this is where Peter goes. Peter goes in this direction. Again, Jesus, when he was a child... Growing up, he was in subjection or submission under his parents' authority, wasn't he? And, and most important, he was in subjection and under submission to God the Father. But he also demonstrated this as a child, being under the submission of his parents. Commentator Wayne Grudem said this, Thus the command to wives to be subject to their own husbands should never be taken to imply inferior personhood or spirituality or lesser importance, end quote. Now, of course, submission in marriage follows the same principles as submission in other spheres, as I mentioned. God's appointed authority is that our obligation before God. It's a command of God unless that authority directs us to sin. We looked at that, didn't we? If that authority... In government, uh, under government authorities, directs us to sin and go against the word of God. We're to say no. In that case, it is right and better to obey God rather than men. And we looked at the examples of that through Scripture. It's Acts chapter four. We went to Daniel. We went to other examples. Uh, we know where we stand there. So, in the same way, Peter says, likewise, wives, be submissive to your own husbands. Again. Women are not inferior to men in any way. So, in marriage, the holy matrimony, two people becoming one, mingled together. Isn't that a, a great miracle that God does in marriage? They become one under the, the covenant of God that God established. That God is the one that created marriage. Go with me to Ephesians chapter 5. And this is a very important uh, passage of Scripture, I believe, for us. Ephesians 5. Now, Paul the Apostle here, and isn't it wonderful? He's a, he's a single apostle, and you got Peter the Apostle almost saying somewhat the, very, the same thing in a different way, but it's still the Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit that directs them to say, to say these words. Notice what the Apostle Paul says in verse 21. He sets the foundation of the... Um, our submission as believers under the authority of Jesus Christ in verse 21. He says this, and be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. In the fear of Christ. That's the foundation. Verse 22, wives. He addresses wives first. There's a reason for this. This is God the Holy Spirit as that directed this, uh, the apostle Peter is the same way. Paul says, wives, be subject to your own husbands. The word own is important. Peter says the same thing. It means not to other men. This is your own husband. Him alone. As to the Lord. 
as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ also is the head of the church, he himself being the Savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also the wives ought to be to their husbands in everything. It's powerful words. Husbands are not left out. Look at verse 25. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ also loved the church and gave himself up for her. That's a strong love. That's convicting to me as a husband because that's the kind of love I should show to my wife. The kind of love that Jesus showed toward his church, his people, his bride. So that he might sanctify her. There's the purpose. He sanctifies her. Having cleansed her. He cleansed her. Past tense. By the washing of, uh, of the water uh, with the word. That with that he might present to himself the church in all her glory. Having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing. But that she would be holy and blameless. That's the purpose. So husbands ought also to love their own wives, their own wives as their own bodies. And he who loves his own wife loves himself. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of of his body. And then he gives us a scripture from Genesis. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking with reference to church, to Christ and the church. Nevertheless, each individual among you also is to love his own wife even as himself, and the wife must see to it that she respects her husband. Strong words, isn't it? Powerful, high words. Jesus desires a pure bride. And that's the way it is as us Husbands is to love our wives. We are not to lead her into anything sinful. We are to lead her to purity. To lead her to purity. To lead her to holiness. To, and that is loving purity. Love does that. And it, why? To cleanse her. To have her cleansed. That's what Jesus is coming after. Is a cleansed. A holy bride. And here is that mystery. See, within the, the, the covenant... Holy matrimony between a husband and a wife, the joining of, of the two become one. That's the way it is with Jesus Christ and the believer. Isn't that glorious? It's glorious. But he speaks about the purpose there. Now, let me head on. I wish I could stay there and preach right there on that text. That's another time. But let's go back to Peter. Now, Peter is speaking very much about... Um, what Paul is saying there, so Peter carefully observed that wives are called to submit to their own husbands, right? And not to all men, to their own husbands. I love that. To their own husbands, your own wives. We're to love, husbands is to love their own wives. One woman, man. One woman, one man, uh, woman. Get it right. Peter goes on to say, so that if, even if any of them are disobedient, he's speaking about the unsaved husband. This is a tough one because there are some women that marry unsaved men. Back in this time period, it was very um, rampant and, and it was very um, 
well known in that time period. And then he says they may be one without a word, without a word by the behavior of their wives. How can this happen? Well, we'll look at this. The opportunity is great, isn't it? Here's an opportunity for a, a godly wife. It's a benefit of submission that is shown in the way that it affects the husbands for God. Now, I want to pause here for say it. it sometimes, in some cases, it doesn't always go this way. But I'm not going to chase that rabbit right now. I'm going to just stay right to the text. That gets more into other situations that happens. I'm not going to go there. But in a culture here in which women were viewed as lower than men, still that happens today, doesn't it? Men look down at women as being stupid and, and so forth and say, you to submit to me. That's a tyrant. Scripture does not... Um, Back that up. Matter of fact, God is God is not pleased with that. But in this place here, Peter uses it as a powerful spiritual influence in the home for this godly wife to be in submissive to a ungodly husband. What's what's more powerful than a holy life, folks? What's more effective than a than a godly woman? That's trusting God. It's her faith and her obedience that can accomplish great things for God without a word. Without a word. Now, I want to I looked at this up. I looked this up and studied this. What does it mean without a word? It doesn't mean without the word of God. It, it means without preaching and lecturing. It means without preaching down his throat. It mean, it, it, because the Word of God is what brings salvation, right? According to John 5.24 and Romans 10.17, faith comes by hearing, hearing by the Word of God. The Word of God is what brings salvation. So the Word of God has to come. But it's her godly, that's her beauty. Her godly character. And Peter goes in this direction. So it, it does mean without talk, without talk. Now, some wives may be tempted to shape, try to tra- shape their husbands either by guiding them to Christ, by preaching, like I said, or lecturing. But that's not what the text says. The text here says the wisdom of God through the Apostle Peter that they may be one without a word by their behavior, by their conduct. Holy conduct. Godly conduct. Through godly submission, chaste conduct, a holy life in the fear of God. Here it is the character and the conduct of the wife that will win the lost husband. This is simply for her as she trusts God through her godly submission. And how does this look like? Well, he goes on. He says this in verse 2, as they observe your chaste and respectful behavior. As they observe... This, not by arguments, but a godly attitude, attitudes of submission, understanding, loving, being kind, patient. These are qualities that are not manufactured, right? We, we know those qualities. What about the fruit of the Spirit? I, don't, I believe that's the most powerful evidence of a godly wife or a godly man for that matter that come when we are submitted to Jesus Christ and His authority and to one another. 
It's never 50-50 in a marriage. I heard this years ago and it convicted me. I said, that's not a 50-50 deal. As most people say, it's 50 here and 50 there. That's 100-100. I'm here to tell you, both have to put their all into it. And as we do it before the Lord. And there's where it comes down to. We must do it as before the Lord. We must do it with an attitude as we're doing it unto Christ. That makes all the difference in the world. The husband being the servant leader unto his wife, ministering to her, helping her. And by the way, it means to beautify her. To beautify her in the Lord. As we read in Ephesians 5, 25-30, it basically means that she is to be beautified. That's what Jesus is doing to His believers, His church. He is beautifying us. He's purifying us. He wants to have a desires to have a bride without spot, without wrinkle. A pure bride. He desires the purity of his bride more than anything else. And he shares his holiness with us. We're, by the way, the scripture says we're partakers of his holiness. Isn't that glorious? And the Christian wife must encourage her husband, by the way. She is to be the encourager and help him grow strong in the Lord. Now this leads me to our next point, the last point, is the true beauty of a godly woman. The true beauty of a godly woman in verse 3 and 4. Notice what it says. Your adornment must not be merely external, braiding the hair, wearing the gold jewelry, or putting on dresses. Women love doing those things. We're going to touch on that. Verse 4, But let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable or incorruptible quality or beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit which is precious in the sight of God. What a word. Now I want to say this. Here, we see God's commentary on how true beauty looks like. This is convicting. The true beauty of a godly woman. It's internal. It's her character. This is, this is God's version of true beauty. God's version of true beauty. Now, I was thinking about this. You know, God doesn't desire you to go about and throw out your makeup and be a plain Jane externally. I heard one preacher say this years ago and it still rings in my head. He was speaking to the lady. I said, boy, he's, he's really, uh, <laughs> he's in dangerous territory talking about these things. But he said, ladies, if you want to paint the barn, please paint it. And I thought, wow, he's going to be in some serious trouble. <laughs> but anyway, I have to agree with him. Um, externally, you know, we, us guys, we, we, we want to see a beautiful woman externally. You know something? Peter is not saying throw out the baby with the bathwater. Actually, listen to what he says. Notice it very closely. What Peter is saying through the Spirit of God is submission to God and to their own husbands. First, it's submission to God and to their own husbands, speaking to the wives. And the word ornament, uh, ornament is a very good word, or your adornment. Ornament, adornment. It's translated adorning. And it's the Greek word cosmos in the Greek. It gives us the English word cosmos. And what does cosmos mean? The ordered universe. God wants to bring order. You know, that's where we, where 
the word cosmetic comes from? Cosmetic. Bring some order. <laughs> Bring some order. Interesting to note that it's opposite of chaos. God wants to bring order. Now, this is interesting. God desires order. Sin has brought chaos. But for the godly woman, the outward adornment is always in moderation. We know that. It's never to be way too much or too little. I believe there is a balance. And he doesn't say throw out the cosmetics. <laughs> it's in a, a moderation. And her emphasis is always, but the emphasis is really here on the inward adornment. That's what God is talking about. That's what Peter is talking about. It's the inward beauty. And, her, and it's, it's the inward beauty before God. That's what God sees. In other words, the Christian wives were not the major on the external decorations, but rather the internal character. That's what he's saying. Don't major on the external. Matter of fact, if a lot of women would major more on the internal than the external, we'd be going a long way in godliness, won't we? He's not saying throw out the baby with the bathwater. Like I said, it comes to adornment, but he's saying true inward beauty, but is her internal character and her true beauty is her being chaste and reverent and Christ-like before God. That's what he's saying. Your adornment must not be merely external. He didn't say, throw it out completely, did he? So we know that. So ladies, don't give up the makeup. But there's three things he does... There's three things that he does mention here. Number one, the braiding of the hair. Number two, the wearing of gold jewelry. Number three, putting on dresses. Now, all husbands and men like to see women that has braided hair and wearing gold jewelry and putting on dresses. That's what we think is precious. But what does God see precious? That's what we should be concerned about, right? There is a place for the external and the right perspective. It is. But what's most important is the internal. That's what counts. Notice here in this verse, all of these adornments are external. The braiding of the hair, the wearing of gold jewelry, putting on dresses. That's all external. What people see, that's what we see with our eyes. That's what appeals now again, Peter again is not forbidding the wearing of jewelry and braiding of the hair and wearing nice dresses. He's not. But he is saying it is that the true beauty must be at all levels. Not just the physical. Just not the physical. Now, we know the world focuses just on the physical, don't we? They use women for the love of money. Oh my goodness, all you got to do is cut the TV on and you see this on commercials and so forth. And women is just put out there and used as bait to bring even selling cars and selling this and selling that, even food commercials. It's sad. And they pay these women big money for this because they got the good looks. External. Put it out there. They got to see something that would help us 
gain money. That's the way the world is, isn't it? Every woman needs to know that her beauty is to be expected and to contribute her life must be, her beauty must be on all levels. But here is where God is different than the world. Inward. It's what God sees. That's what we got to look at. Her inward beauty is her most attractiveness of all. I'm going to say that to you ladies as a pastor that really loves you. That is your most beautiful attractiveness is your inward beauty. Uh, your inward beauty shines more than anything. It, her inward beauty is to be more even, being more beautiful than her physical attractiveness. And you can be beautiful on the outside, but you're more beautiful on in the inside. Isn't that the way God sees it? You know, you're not going to hear that too much from this world. They want to see your external beauty, but they don't want to see, they don't care about your internal beauty. And can I tell you this? Women have great power in the sense of beauty. They can use their beauty. Look at Delilah. She was a prostitute. And she trapped the strongest man in that time period. Look at the wisest man that ever lived. It was one of his downfalls. But, you see, women have great power in this. But, and and let, me, let me say this in a loving way. Your real power does not lie in your seductiveness of outward beauty. Your real power lies in your inner beauty. As a, as, as a child of God. The, the real beauty is your internal person before God. Notice again, verse 4. But let it be the hidden person of the heart with, with the imperishable quality, beauty of a gentle and a quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. Not the sight of men, in the sight of God. Reminds me of 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. You know this verse. But the Lord said to Samuel, now this is referred to King Saul, granted, but this is the way God sees us, men and women, right? He sees the soul, He sees the heart. Listen to what He said. Do not look at His appearance or at the height of His stature. But I have rejected Him, God says. I have rejected Him. For God does not see as man sees. Since man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The heart. That's what God looks at. God looks at the heart. How does your heart look before God? How does your soul look before God? What is the size of your soul? Is your soul attractive to God? Is it beautiful in the sight of God? It is to have a gentle and a quiet spirit before God. What kind of character do you have? Beauty that will never decay. The outward is going to fade away. It reminds me of a flower once again. You see a beautiful flower and eventually that flower fades and decays and falls away. A rose will, as beautiful as the rose is, will eventually decay and, and the, the petals will fall off and it's gone. But what's going to last? Your inward soul. Your inward beauty. A gentle, quiet spirit which is very precious in the sight of God. My time is almost gone. We've got to hurry. True beauty is in the eyes of the beholder and our great beholder is God Himself. He sees all things, alright? That's convicting. Well, these godly character traits are not promoted for women by our wicked culture. Naturally, right? Naturally, you don't expect, you know, these internal beauties. It's the external is what they look at. Yet, 
They are very precious in the sight of God. F.B. Meyer said this, Plenty are the, there whose outward body is richly decked, but whose inner being is clothed in rags, whilst others whose garments are worn and threadbare are all glorious within. Well said. Well, it reminds me of Proverbs 31. Go with me to Proverbs 31 very quickly. Let's read the commentary that Solomon had on the woman that has had inward beauty. Look at Proverbs 31. I want to just read through it, verse, starting at verse 10. An excellent wife who can find, for her worth is far above jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he, and he will have no gain. I'm sorry, no lack of gain. She does, not, she does him good and not evil all the days of her life. She looks for wool and flax and works with her hands in delight. She is like the merchant ships. She brings her food from afar. She rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. She girds herself with strength. Notice this. Inward beauty, strength. Makes her arms strong. She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. She stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. She extends her hand to the poor and she stretches out her hands to the needy. She cares. She's a caring wife. Verse 21, She is not afraid of the snow of her household, for all her household are clothed with scarlet. She's, she's a hard-working godly woman. She makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates. She really praises her husband. And when he sits among the elders, the land, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. Notice here again, verse 25, the inward beauty. Notice this, strength and dignity. That's inner beauty. That's character. Are her clothing. That's her clothing. She wears it every day. That's what she is every day before God. Strength and dignity. And she smiles at the future. She doesn't fear the future. Because she trusts in God, right? Verse 26. She opens her mouth in wisdom. And the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. What a godly woman. Listen to this. She looks well to the ways of her household. And does not eat the bread of idleness. She's never idle. Her children rise up and bless her. Her husband also, and he praises her, saying, what does he say? Many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. What a praise. Charm is deceitful, and beauty is vain. Listen to the wise Solomon. But a woman who fears the Lord, she shall be praised. Give her the product of her hands, and let her work praise, and her works praise her in the gates. And there you have true holiness, the virtue, inner beauty of what the Apostle Peter is talking about with a godly wife. Very quickly, let me give you an application. Looking at this old world in which we live in, with all of its sham and its emptiness and its glittering facades of hallowed lives, do you know anything that is more short-supplied than the beauty of the Spirit? You don't say it often, do you? What a challenge to women. What a challenge to women. So vital a matter as this, that so uniquely 
is the woman's role. Still the problem we all face is in three words, sin. Sin. Why do you say that, Pastor? Because after the fall in Genesis chapter 3, God first cursed the serpent. Second, He cursed the woman. And then He cursed Adam. The curse came upon us because of sin. And this is what Scripture says in Genesis 3.16. One verse, one verse, listen to this. And to the woman, God said, I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you will bring your forth children. Yet your desire will be for your husband and he will rule over you. Now, let me give you Pastor John MacArthur's notes on this. I thought it was very interesting. It fits exactly what we're saying. He says this, Just as the woman and her seed will engage in a war with the serpent, Satan and his seed, in verse 15, because of sin and the curse, the man and the woman will face struggles in their own relationships. Is that so true? That's the problem. It's sin. Notice again what he says. Because of sin and the curse, and the curse, the man and the woman, even Christians, will face struggles in their own relationship. Sin has turned the harmonious system of God-ordained roles into distasteful struggles of self-will. Lifelong companies, I'm sorry, lifelong compa- uh, companions, husbands and wives will need God's help in getting along as a result. Can I get an amen there? The one, he goes on to say, the woman's desire will be to lord it over her husband. This is what sin's done. But the husband will rule by divine design. That's what Paul is basically saying in Ephesians chapter 5, right? End quote. I thought that was a quote that's well worth us talking about that. But the answer, what's the answer? It's submission. Submission. The submission. Submission to God. Submit, therefore, to God. Let me drive this home. Jesus gave us the greatest example of submission. You see submission all through the Scriptures. Let me close with a story by Jill Briscoe on submission. I don't know if you've ever heard of Jill Briscoe. She's a godly woman. Her husband was Stuart Briscoe, preacher of the gospel, years back. And we've been looking at what submission is, but you know something in this story right here, Jill Briscoe talks about what submission isn't. I think this gives us a proper balance, doesn't it? Listen to this. She talks about the difference between her family and her husband, Stuart Briscoe, and Stuart's family and what that brought to her own marriage and her own marriage. And I think this can really relate to all of us, but especially to wives here. She says this, quote, My father was a quiet and gentle a gentleman, considered himself head of his home, protector, defender, and provider. My mom was a sweet Scottish-born Presbyterian. She believed in the sovereignty of God and her, and her husband. My father adorned my mother, but his considerable business assets into her name he put considerable. I'm sorry. He put his considerable business assets in her name and looked to her to raise her children. The children. When my sister came of age, my father supported her when she became an excellent car mechanic, kind of a tomboy here, 
and raced cars. Quite a woman, huh? <laughs> Quite a daughter, I should say. Eventually, she took her place at his, uh, at his side as partner in his successful car business. <laughs> Something else. <laughs> Stewart's family was strict on the other hand. He, was, he came from a very strict home. Conservative, evangelical. His father was an elder in a small local assembly of believers, and he took seriously his rule, his rule to the household well, to rule the household well. He considered himself the authority of his family, while his wife, a bright, articulate, efficient lady, considered herself in subjection to her husband in everything, carrying those convictions to her dress, her hairstyle, and her silence in the presence of men at church. <laughs> Newly converted, Jill says, at the College of Cambridge, having just been introduced to Stuart's family, Jill says this, I remember wondering greatly about the amazing mold of doing things, and I sensed an unconscious frustration. I think, women, you can relate to that. An unconscious frustration of unexplored desires and frustrated gifts in my mother-in-law. It was as if those gifts sat meekly inside her with eyes downcast and wearing a hat. And she goes on, in that moment, as a new believer, Jill says this, I believe I stumbled an import, on an important truth, an important truth of what submission isn't. And she's turning the spotlight on herself. Submission isn't sitting down on the outside while you're standing up on the inside. Oh my, can we catch that truth? Submission isn't sitting down on the outside while you're standing up on the inside. That's convicting. When we submit to God, do we, are, are we doing it because we love our Lord and we're under His authority? Wives, have this kind of heart. This is the kind of truth that must, must be caught rather than taught. What kind of behaviors do you show? Do you show a, a submissive heart? Or do you show in, are you showing... What kind of behaviors are you showing? Are you showing an unsubmissive heart or a submissive heart? Beloved, this is how God has designed the church and how God has designed marriage. To submit under His authority willingly. Not while we're standing up on the inside, but we're sitting down. We're sitting down, not on the outside. While we're standing up on the inside. That's all wrong. It comes down to our submission to God. Amen? Our submission to God. Our attitude. Our heart motives. Let me leave you with this scripture. Sweet surrender. Lord, help us. Romans 12, 1 and 2. I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable God, which is your reasonable service. Which is your reasonable service. And do not be conformed to this world, but be you transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable, perfect will of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you. For this word before us, Lord, it's 
such a critical topic for all of us. Just not for wives, but for husbands as well. For all believers. It comes right down to help us to look at the Lord Jesus Christ as He submitted in the Garden of Gethsemane. As He was facing your wrath. And three times, three times He wrestled with it. Not my will, but Thy will be done. Sweet submission. Sweet submission. Help us, Lord. Help us, Lord, in this. Help us to take this truth to our homes. Help us to be truly submissive to You. Help us, help each ever every one of us that, that hears this message, O oh God, to be truly submissive to You willingly. Not standing up on the inside, but sitting down, bowing before Your presence willingly. Help us by Your Holy Spirit, I pray, O oh God. And we ask this in Jesus' name.